0: You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders with Wayne Eckerson.
1: Getting to saturation point of adoption in an organization takes 10 times as long as it takes to build something new.
0: Welcome everyone. This is Wayne Eckerson. This is the second of a multi-part interview with Mike Mashindaro, a veteran BI practitioner who recently retired from Dow Chemical where he served as director of BI for nearly 20 years. Our last episode focused on BI programs and BI teams. This episode focuses on how to partner with the business and ensure high levels of customer satisfaction and adoption. Welcome again to the show, Mike. Thanks, Wayne. Good to be here with you again. So we all know that a BI team lives and breathes on the rate of adoption of its reports and applications. So from your 20 years of experience in the field, what are the keys to BI adoption?
1: It, this is a great topic uh, for me. Uh, adoption is, is one that, that, that my whole team would tell you has always been near and dear to my heart. You know, uh, pretty early on, uh, it became apparent to me that, you know, we build a lot of things in business intelligence uh, or data warehousing areas. You know, we build reports, right? I call them products. But building is um, rarely um, what's going to drive success in your organization. You have to be working on how to get those things that you build used by the businesses. And, uh, you know, creating that stuff is great, but it's certainly not enough. And, you know, there's a whole set of things that you need to do to uh, get things adopted, and it's a, a whole subtopic of itself that I'm really happy to be talking to you about today.
0: So what would you think are the, the, the top three keys to adoption?
1: So, you know, once you create this, these things, you know, you need to promote them, right? So, it's you know, it's not one of these things that if you create, they will come. Um, you need to promote it, communicate it, train, uh, perhaps, on the tools. But then we went after more of usability and the UX experience to try to make things more intuitive. Uh, training is something that's... If, if your tools really require a lot of training, it's very hard to keep up with the adoption curve for that because your user base is turning over quite a bit as you have new people in the organization, so forth and so on. So, uh, you know, this whole thing about communication I think is very important. Usability gets in there. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, you can do all that kind of stuff, but if you're not measuring what it is that you're, um, that you're getting out of that, who's using this stuff? So what we did was we had a very robust system of knowing what is being used, what reports, who is using it, when do they use it, what are the trends of the usage of each one of the tools. I call them tools, I will also call them products. Um, What I like to think is that we're doing business intelligence on our business intelligence. So our BI program is being measured through the same kind of techniques that we use uh, to define the business. So um, like for example, we'll target the top users because we know who they are, the top 10 users for feedback and because they're the ones that are using the tools specifically so they know most about what's valuable and what's not valuable for them and we'll use that to drive our iteration. Uh, People call that agile development. I call it iterative development but I use it in that way. Um, so I, I think that's important. Uh, basically, we develop a whole customer intelligence uh, model around that. So we know who the users are, what the hot reports are. And I could tell you, like, the top ten reports. I was calling them the power rankings, um, you know, and, and what is it about those things that make it tick. But, um, but that's the big piece of it. Um, business engagement is very important in that. And, um, and that's uh, the, the top items there that I would point to, Wayne.
0: Sure. Uh, go back to communication. Once you've put something out there, what do you do to communicate that it's there and ensure adoption?
1: Well, um, uh, multiple ways, right? So we have multiple channels that will go to market here. And uh, in the last, um, in the last uh, segment, uh, we were talking about the business analysts' that we engage with, Um, uh, you know, so we have multiple channels that go out there. We have a business uh, group called the Insight Explorer Network. That is over a thousand uh, business analysts that we can go out there and be promoting to. You know, we have like, you know, in the portfolio, we have analysts talk about the areas that are hot for the business, Uh, and, and so that's one of the ways. We have business IT. Uh, that is set up in our organization. And these are IT people that, that reach out to the businesses directly at a high level. We use that channel. But mostly what we do is, um, aside from all them, is go direct uh, both from uh, a, a bottoms up through some of those methods, but also top down by reaching out to the, the high level folks in the business, especially the ones that are, we're getting ad- usage and adoption, right, from, and, um, and market to them direct. And, and try to really explain to them how the tools can add value to them. Uh, so that's, you know, it's, it's a full uh, spread approach. We, we have a mini CRM system that we use. I, it's sort of a poor, poor man's CRM where we keep contacts uh, and what those discussions were with every business person that we meet with. Um, so that, you know, if you're going to go visit, visit with somebody, you could know how many times we touched them, what we talked about, when we talked about it, so that we're being intelligent about how we approach the businesses.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I, I've never heard of a BI team using the CRM to track their user engagement. That, that's pretty interesting. Uh, what, what kind of information did you glean from that? And how did that change how you, uh, you know, interact with vendors, uh, I mean, users?
1: I'm surprised we never talked about that one, Wayne. I mean we talked about a lot of things in our interactions. Um, you know, it's funny, CRM systems, you know, very rarely get used like they should be getting used even in the business from the sales force. And and my theory behind that is CRM systems are too difficult to use. You know, it's a very form based things and try you know, by the time you know, it, it takes you a long time that to, to make the interaction. We we use the very simple uh, SharePoint site where where we validated who the users were through Active Directory, but then it was basically a text-based, you know, just type in uh, when the interaction was. Um, Some things would would be locked in there, like the date that you entered the record, who entered the uh, record, who the person was, and you would just put down a couple sentences about what the interaction was about. Now, what do you get out of that? That's, you get a lot out of that, because you become really intelligent about your customer base. Now, if you have a, a very, very small customer base, if you only have 50 people in your customer base, you don't have to get real formal and structured about this because you probably know these people and know you know their spouses and who their kids were and their birthday and all that kind of thing. But when you're dealing with multiple hundreds and thousands, and you know we had um, such a large group that over the course of the year we had over 12,000 users in the system, you have to get a little bit smarter about that so we would have discussions, understand what people were doing, be leaning and have discussions around what people used and what they didn't use. Um, you know, when we talk to a leader, you know, and if they felt that there was something important, we could tell them the stuff was being used in the organization and where it wasn't being used. And then enlist their help to try to open up doors in some areas of their organization that was lacking. Most of all, it it allows you to... Um, really sound intelligent and i and i i laugh a little bit about that you know if you walk into somebody who you haven't seen in 6 months and then you say oh yeah we were talking in, you know last april and it was about this and you know how did that work out and or or better yet right you could if somebody else in your organization has met with this person you could you could talk to that person ahead of time and arm yourself with information so that when you know that um when you when you have the thirty minute time slice with this important person in the business, you could really bring the information right you really know how to focus on what's important to them
0: so did you use this primarily to support your face to face meetings or phone calls with top users or was this for tracking interactions with everybody
1: we um we we weren't being very very um we weren't being overly prescriptive with this wayne we um we were doing that at various levels of the organization. Um, naturally, it, you need to cut it off at some point, right? I mean, some people in your organization would start logging a discussion around a help desk topic. And at that point, you know, we sort of learned to draw the line and say, look, help desk topics, we have a help desk ticket open somewhere that can tell you that kind of information. So if the person has to get their password reset or all that, we don't need that in the system. That's just clutter. Um, so we, we ratcheted up a little bit higher than that, but basically any time that you met with a user and there was something that, that was either a request of theirs, a gap of theirs, or, you know, something that was on their mind from the perspective of running their business or their function, something that was a hot topic, uh, that maybe they didn't uh, know how to address, or maybe it was lacking in our product portfolio, that sort of thing. All
0: right. You mentioned training. Uh, And that actually the best training doesn't happen because the the tools are so intuitive. But uh, what kind of training do you provide or support to ensure adoption?
1: Well, we were making a major transition between having a, a training which was abstract from the report. What I mean by that is screenshots and PowerPoint presentations. We still have some of that here and there to online kind of stuff and we were actually um, heading towards using uh, some technologies that can give you sort of an, an overlay to an actual report. So part of the report design has an overlay that you can turn on that is a little bit of a tutorial. You've probably seen these things, and it's, it's fairly new in the industry. Actually, I say fairly new, it's been around many years, but it, it really has never really been done well. It's starting to come um, on its own right now so when we um, when we deploy something that we want to make like the first time so we could like detect the first time you're in a report start you know prompting people to say Do, you know we could show you around um, and then you could skip by it uh, if you want you can come back to it uh, that sort of thing but it's um, it's mostly you know not not so much how to use the tool but what is the context that that other um, you know others are using the tool like why does this report or analytic exist, you know, what is it helping people to do? Um, there's a lot of other, I mean, we could we could probably have a whole segment here on, you know, um, this kind of interaction because it was my belief that the best way that, that users can learn about a tool is to reach out to the other users who are using that report and let them learn from other like people um, in the organization, you know, their cohorts, right, their um, you know their buddies. If maybe they know, maybe they don't know them. But I mean, they're, they, other people have great um, ideas when they're using your stuff, and if they could reach out to others, they can learn an awful lot. And then we end up learning from that discussion as well.
0: Great. So the the key really that I've seen uh, that successful companies do well is engaging with the business. Some just have a trouble ticketing mechanism. That's their primary way to engage with the business. But others go deeper. They have community groups, like you mentioned. Uh, They have people who function as intermediaries. I'm just wondering, what are the primary ways that you engage with the business? Okay, um, I touched on it
1: a little bit earlier. Um, There's there's probably at at least four ways we do that. And, you know, check me on if it's actually for there. At the, the most rudimentary ticketing system, everybody should have a ticketing system, all right, if you don't. You need to be able to get interactions and categorize them, catalog them, and be able to mine them. You know, there's um, uh, some of the other methods I, we just spoke about, like that uh, like a mini CRM system. We did all also talk about analysts out there um, and so forth, and business IT. Uh, We also reach out um, to get feedback from these people. So we do some traditional um, uh, surveying. Um, Once a year we would go out there on consistent topics like security, do you know what the portfolio is, is it useful enough, and we would use that to get close to the customers and we would follow up with people. Always give people um, the ability to give you textual uh, feedback I think you learn the most out of that, trying to – it's pretty hard to, to track those things over the year, um, you know, we, so we have the regular categories that we track to see if we're doing better to get our satisfaction numbers up. Um, but that's the way you have to drive it. I mean, if you're not listening to your customer base and seeing where your weaknesses are, it's great to get testimonials, which is another thing we do quite a bit, and that helps drive adoption. Um, but um, it's a it's a multi-pronged approach here.
0: Do you have individuals on your team who are assigned to individual departments or business units uh, who kind of immerse themselves in that group, maybe embed themselves a good portion of the time to really understand their needs and proactively address their concerns?
1: Uh, not directly um, on my team. Uh, last time we were talking about in the first um, in the first session that we did, we talked about uh, the analysts that I have in my organization. They they are subject matter experts in some areas, and when we have functional um, analysts who are indirectly connected to the organization out there with the functions. On the business side, we have business IT, and the business IT guys are high-level people who um, have a seat at the business leaders table to understand high-level needs. The good and the bad of that is is that you get um, a door open for you where you don't have doors open. The, the downside of that is, is that they that they're very, very generic and really can't understand the details um, of what we're bringing to the table here. So they don't even know what the portfolio, their portfolio of reporting is. So if they're hearing a problem um, when they're sitting at the table, they can't necessarily come back and go, oh, I, I've got the thing for you, you know, we'll sign you right up. Um, Sometimes that happens, and that's a very good uh, that's a very good you know door opener for us. But one thing for sure, it's like a it, it ends up being like a an account manager, right? Like a like a corporate account manager kind of thing. They bring us in right behind if they have a needs that we want to follow up on. But uh, that's not a that's not a replacement, Wayne, for us going out directly. And um, you know we're in close partnership with those guys. Um, but what I do on my team is I had. Uh, a small contingent of folks that were involved with value assessment, right? You know how that cash register is ringing up in terms of the value that we're being, that we're bringing to the business, and those people were out there. It's a very it was a small group, a couple people who were very business centric, and um, and they and they had contacts, used these contact databases, and I did it myself. I spent a lot of my time doing it. Uh, to try to build those relationships so that you can see what people are doing with the tools and how it was actually helping them. Um, We did value assessment after use and tried to stay away from uh, dragging somebody through a big value assessment before because people don't really know how valuable some of these things are going to be,
0: but they can articulate it a little bit better on uh,
1: on the post side after they're using it
0: great uh so uh, the business these days they want to go as fast as possible how did you keep up with them
1: very good topic right because um you know especially when you're in corporate i.t you know you get painted with the brush of you guys are too slow you know i give you a requirement and i don't hear back from you for three three um, months or six months or never hear back from you or something um i, I took that as a as, as a personal challenge not let that happen. And I think in the end result, what I found was very, very interesting, if you, really, if you measure adoption uh, and you look at how long it takes to build something and then how long to really get full adoption in an organization, it's, it's very enlightening because getting to saturation point of adoption in an organization is easily ten times as, takes ten times as long as it takes to build something new, and I, I always found that very interesting. So, you know, people are complaining that your development cycle is it takes too long. And but if you can shorten that development cycle from three months to two months to one month, that's great. But then the adoption cycle it takes in some cases years. I mean, we've had we had some reports that were doing margin analysis that were awesome. Every person it had like ninety-five percent customer satisfaction and even with a very effective report we were seeing growth and adoption years after it was uh, put out there um, that's mainly because uh, our organization was so big but I found it sort of like a constant that uh, adoption curves are are much much longer than development curves that doesn't that didn't really answer your question um, you know we you know specifically to your question though um, we we wanna you know listen to the people who are um, really bringing good information to us right so people build credibility right some people ask for stuff all the time and then when you deliver it but it didn't really work out well you know you know our portfolio was full of stuff that we built that wasn't getting much use you know and we wanted to govern that up front so you you know you know some people though really nail it. Some people go, you know, we've been going with something and, and cobbling something together in Excel, and we've been doing that for years, and this thing is very important to us, uh, but it's not as effective as it could be. You can take some of those opportunities and scale them onto the our systems, and that's where our biggest um, our biggest successes came from. And when you do that, by the way, when you listen to people and then, and then and press the flesh with them very quickly, the perception changes. Very quickly, in terms of how fast you are, uh, it, you know, the perception of you know your speed of delivery changes when you have close customer interaction and you deliver stuff. And we got to the point where things flipped around that people were like, "Oh my gosh, you guys have so much content that you put out there. We have a problem absorbing it all." So then the question becomes, how do I how do I make sure that the content I'm putting out there is pointed at current business problems to the greatest extent possible. And you could stand behind a report portfolio that has, you know, a thousand analytics in it, but make sure that you only bring to bear the the smaller amount of stuff that really meets the need that the business is facing at that particular time. And then what that does is it it helps to really change this whole perception of being slow because now it's like, you know, we're a real partner to them. And uh, we knew that through the testimonials that we were getting from them. And by the way, we recorded testimonials. That was a, a great way to help um, reuse, to, we would reuse that stuff to uh, gain further adoption.
0: You know, a lot of people talk about using self-service to speed delivery, essentially outsourcing development to the business. How much of that was part of your strategy?
1: Um, the self-service stuff. Is important. I think it's very important. I don't, I don't think a program that didn't that, that doesn't have self-service and is going to be a, a good enough program because you could have structured reporting that is even very very flexible, but there's still going to be the need for having super analysts out there to go out there and be able to hear and and twist things around and self serve. Um, so we wrap we we really put our arms around that and embrace that and try to learn from that. Um, I think self-service is a good channel for us to be listening to people at their problems especially if they're high credibility analysts to sort of get a leg up on um, how that how that will or could affect our portfolio in the future and be able to build that in, especially if we wanted to scale. A lot of the self-service analytics, uh, the good of it is, is that the person's right there in the business. The bad of it is it is it usually is not very scalable, right? So they can get an answer pretty quick but it's um, not very automated, it's not supported very well, and, and ultimately those analysts, they don't wanna have that ball and chain around their neck forever. It was you know, a string of pearls early on, uh, right? But if it becomes something that is gonna be more, um, more mainstream, they, they would rather have it in the portfolio. So um, there's a lot, lot to that, right? A lot of moving pieces with that, but that's how we engage the, uh, the self-service um, analytics side.
0: And how would you move an ad hoc report that some super analyst did into the production portfolio? Was there a process for that or not?
1: Well, it's very interesting, right? I mean, um, you know, we would have at the Inside Explorer Network, meaning people coming up and talking about some of their successes. And then we would have, uh, we would evaluate some of those things. to Well, how many customers do you have? Do you really have a lot of customers? Or is it just something that was a couple of people? And maybe it wasn't a knee that was a flash in the pan, right? You know, it's something that we answered the question, don't need it anymore. We would, we would take something and have an evaluation of it with some of our senior people, myself included, uh, mostly, right, to try to pick your spots. Uh, sometimes people did some very unique, um, innovative kind of things, and we'd, we'd try to learn from that and help them, right, to do things better. Um, a number... A number of ways, I, you know, those things really can serve as good incubators um, for building stuff in the, into your portfolio. I have to say that some of the top successes that we had were things that somebody had done somewhere else and um, and had success at and in some small way, and then we were able to scale that. Um, Humility is important here, guys. You know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, thought of in your own house to to drive. Value for the organization, right? I mean, you know, we and we were very uh, open about giving uh, awards out to the top Insight Explorers and and profile them within the Insight Explorer network to make people feel good about what they did and and give them credibility in, in the uh, the rest of the organization.
0: So to be clear, these Insight Explorers, these are the so-called super analysts that you mentioned before, the people who are. More of your power users who are building some of this ad hoc stuff, right? yep, absolutely, okay.
1: and they range from people who are data assemblers to people who are real business savvy people. all of them typically have tech skills to be able to do data modeling at some level, uh some more than others, maybe a little bit right uh, some visualization work um but you know, so the, the people who were just the assemblers of that, um, they they were the ones that that almost feel almost feel threatened by the whole process, right? Because they want to just sit there and assemble, right, and stamp these things out. Um, it's interesting, right? They're they're part of the network, but not our key focus in the network, right? The key focus in the network are the people who are um, who are real business savvy, who by the way will be the first to tell you. That that once they have something that's important and used, they want to they want to automate that and, you know, put it in, you know, into the into the, you know, the standard reporting portfolio and so that they can move on to the next thing.
0: Would you leverage the assemblers, the people you call the assemblers to help you do that? Or were they assembling things on non-standard uh, platforms? Were they your, well, were they were um, they your ally? Were they kind of uh, hurting the cause?
1: Now, it's it's an interesting question. I know that you've written very much about spread marts and those sorts of things in the past, Wayne. Um, and I'm I'm smiling here a little bit because I you know that that's somewhat of a loaded question. I know when you ask that question. Um, <laughs> the, the, the reason is is because pe- people end up on both sides of that. You know, um, sometimes these people clearly draw the battle lines for you, and they have their little operation, and you're not. You know you're not going to take their business and they own it, and so forth and And frankly, you know, I, I tell those people, go to town, right I mean if you, if your organization is paying for you and you think you have a great run organization, that's that's great, right? I mean, I don't have any I mean there's there's plenty of business for me to pick up in other areas. you know some but what ends up happening eventually? Right, we're big enough that people start looking at what you do from a centralized perspective, and they, you know, and how you're working with other um, analysts, and they go, "Geez, why do I need this little thing over here in the corner? Can't we sort of push it together?" Right? I, I, I never really targeted them for, you know, a bake-off kind of a thing. Right? It's just, you know, there's too many open spaces to go, and and there's no reason to to make this you know, a negative kind of a thing. So, you know, if somebody was over there in some corner of the of the earth doing their thing, you know, God bless them, you know.
0: Did you find that a lot of those systems, which end up being a little bit fragile, you know, supported by one or two people who could leave the company and leave that group in in the lurch, did, did you find that you ended up taking over a lot of those anyway down the road?
1: No. Um, well... Do do people then knock on your door and say, "Hey, can you run this for us?" You know, the yeah. answer to that is, is, is that no. I mean, you know, if you if we want to scale something, we will have a project and we'll go do it. But we're going to put it on our platform. We're not going to just try to take over one of those things and and do that. And if you think it's important enough in your business, well then, you know, invest in that in, in that one area, right? I mean, we we tried to stay away from that. That's that's uh, to me. You know, taking over like little spread marts in another part of organization that's built on some old technology is not a winning strategy um, in, you know, from your overall program because you end up with too many things that are, are not the right architecture, They have shaky business rules in them, or business rules that may not have been shaky when they were built, but because business changes and things change, all of a sudden it's not relevant now or something needs to change and nobody even remembers where the code is or, you know, what what it's written in, you know. It could be in Power Builder for for gosh sake, you know, something that, that we don't have anybody even doing anymore. So I, I don't think that's a winning strategy and we tried to stay away from that and, and um, you know, and let it happen. And, and if those things were going to die overall, let them, let them just die, you know. Was that Frank? Was that that's Yeah, that no, 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 that, <laughs> no, that's,
0: that's true. I, I always say that they're, you know, let it ride until it dies. I may have even gotten that from you. Eventually, those things get so fragile and brittle uh, that they are willing to convert to the, the standard portfolio and platform because they get a hell of a lot more in return for changing. Yep. But uh, I didn't. And people know...
1: know, and people know sometimes that when the when what you're bringing ends up overlapping. Um, like for example, there's a report that's telling you one version of the truth here, and theirs is telling you a different version of the truth there. Ultimately, um, we take the high ground there because our stuff rolls up to the P and L and the balance sheet, right? Yeah. And if and if at a detail level it's telling them a different story, a lot of the a lot of senior leaders start going, I, I I don't want to be running something on my own that's saying something different than the corporate system. And then when I at the end of the day when I roll it up, it doesn't. Tie with what my accountability is, right? And, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, and, and by the way, that, that depends on how mature, you know, that argument happens when you're, you know, at a level of maturity with a big program. If you're a brand new program, you know, you, know, you, you can't take that attitude. It has to be maybe a little bit different if you're just starting a program
0: right right i guess i was asking if that's happened where a group has realized you know we don't want to run on our own little spread mart anymore there's too many advantages for converting this to the standard enterprise platform Just one yes it has okay
1: yeah it definitely has but i don't you know you don't go out of your way I, i wasn't really there to hold the funeral procession and really cheer about that necessarily i just took the business and just move on
0: right All right, well, let's finish up by talking about obstacles. There are a lot of things that can uh, undermine adoption of BI in an organization, things like performance, uh, data quality. Uh, So one thing I wanted to ask was how do you ensure that business users trust the data in your reports? As we know, if they don't trust that data, they probably won't use the reports that you've built for them. Uh,
1: Another good topic because data quality um, has so many different ways that you that, um, that you can think about data quality. Um, you know, data quality has to do with architecture and what you're doing and modeling. Is all that stuff done well and did you QA test it and all that? And that's all the mechanical kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, you have to do all that kind of, those kinds of things. Um, but uh, data quality um, ends up being sometimes in the eyes of the beholder. Um, you know, it, I found it pretty interesting that um, if you have um, a tool that you're telling somebody bad news, um, it's, you know, the first thing they do is question whether it's the right um, signal or not. Because they don't want it to occur, right? They don't want to hear bad news, right? So, so they question the quality, um, even if it is right. So you know you have to uh, be steadfast on that. Uh, another uh, the the opposite side of it is is that if it's good news, people ac- and, and unless the good news is unbelievably good news, right? If it's good news, they accept it very quickly. Uh, so there's a lot of this human side to data quality that that plays into this. Um, but but most specifically, if I'm talking to somebody specific, if I'm you know uh, demoing something to a business guy, I'll anchor on some big things or high things that is something that they know again. Um, I, I'll sort of think about it as tell them what they know and then tell them what they don't know, right? Do it in that regard. So let me give you an example. You know, we'll filter down onto their business over the last six months and then take a look at customers and I'll show them the top ten. You know, these guys are going to know who their top 10 customers are, right? They know. it, And and by the way, you show them the customers and your list of their top 10 better be pretty darn close to what they know, right? There might be a couple in there and they'll go, oh, yeah, I know that guy that's a distributor, right? Yep, I wasn't including him in my top 10. But that's important because if you're showing them the top 10 and that varies from the top 10 that they have in their head, you're dead because they probably really know what that top 10 is. But then what happens is, is once you anchor them on that, then you can start spinning the data around and showing them something they don't know. Hey, did you know that you know you, you were looking at that by revenue? But what about profitability? What about variable profit? And then, by the way, let's look at deltas over uh, different periods and, and start ranking it then and start spinning their data around so fast that you can gain some insights. That really helps. Um, it really grabs them when you start telling them something and showing them speed and these kinds of things that they could do very quickly. You know, you talked about um, performance. Um, you know, I, I have like a whole list of, you know, uh, key uh, performance criteria or, you know, key issues that you have to do in a program and performance is absolutely on there and, and we, we've uh, we spent a lot of time on the tech side uh, making sure performance is great and every click has to happen in five seconds in my shop, um, you know, and and it's hard, and what we ended up doing is getting over 90% or nine, like 92%, that was a metric we had, of all clicks returned in five seconds or less. It's ine- inevitable that somebody's going to come up with some big honking query. It's going to take longer, of course, but you want to have the majority doing it. How do we do that? We did it with technology and in-memory technology, and, um, you know, we upgraded to the latest technology, SAP was in there with their HANA solution, and it worked out very well for us, and we did all that investment. But data quality is one of those things that, that is an important um, rung in the ladder of your program, and boy, you better pay attention to that, because um, if people start thinking that your data is wrong, even when you're bringing bad news, um, or even when you're bringing good news for that matter, um, you know, you're, you're sunk right? People have to trust your data and and, um, and there's a lot lot to that. And it's not just at one time, it's consistently over time.
0: Performance, data quality, those those things you just have to do right or else you're sunk. Are there any other gotchas like that or must-haves?
1: Well, I, I have a whole list. I don't have the list in front of me, but I could rattle off of some on the top of my head. Um, you know, usability is important. Um, you know, you, you want things to be easy to use so that people can get in and understand them, make things understandable. You want to have high-level views and low-level views, so you have to have a good hierarchy of that. You have to have the right security around the data. It's very interesting. You know, you can be really good at um, showing people what's going on in the business. Next thing you know, people are going to go, oh, my gosh, that's really important information. Oh, is it secure enough? And if you're not secured, you're in trouble. Um, I talked about – you know, speed of response, what about refresh speed, right, latency, right? Is this real information? And how, much, how close to real time are you? And what's the right level of real time changes versus batch updates? Not always good to have real time if you want to do a trend. You don't want the trend bouncing around on you. So maybe it is daily or maybe less than that. In some instances, real time is important. But, um, you know, if you're not fast enough, and refresh, you, you know, you can't be bringing one, you know, last month's news to the table here. So there's, there's a number of those things, Wayne, and um, we could talk about them more, maybe in a future episode.
0: Sure. <laughs> well, let's, let's end here with one last question. If you could start over again, how would you do things differently?
1: I learned so iteratively over the course of time, and I think back to when we start, started, how um, naive we may have been um you know um you know from a person starting a program, you know probably listening to this going, Oh my gosh how do how do I build all that that in? Uh, my recommendation is to keep it real simple at first um, you know um you know start and being um you know focus on embarrassingly small wins up front um your portfolio doesn't have to be huge um it has to be customer centric um you shouldn't go off and and just build architecture and say to the business guys, "Hey, I'll be back in six months and it's going to be great. Trust me. Um, you know, you know, keep it small, keep it value generated. Uh, get these people to continue to write checks for you because they uh, value service, even how even though the initial ones are very small." Um, I I was um I, I learned that from somebody along the way to do that and we built that in early on. At times, you know, programs you tend to forget that and sometimes that's happening I think that's happening a little bit these days in big data management. Right? People are chasing this thing called big data. And that's great. Everybody feels like they need to do it. But um you know you can do all things kind of things with architecture and Hadoop and all the all that kind of stuff, but if you're if you're not delivering some level of business value along the way, um you may get a big check for a certain period of time, but that venture capital is going capital list is going to come back to you looking for some return at some point. So you know starting if I had to do it again, uh, Wayne, I'd say i'd i'd um you know what I learned along the way is to do it iterative program development and build these kind of tenants into the program slowly and consistently over time.
0: Mike, again, uh, lots of wonderful insights uh, for our audience. Uh, Thanks again for your time.
1: I appreciate it, uh, Wayne, and I had a lot of fun doing this. So uh, thanks for organizing.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at Eckerson.com.